Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Uh, Colby, I, I'm going to start off the show by giving myself a, a bullet. You wanted to record on Wednesday, and we kind of discussed some of the topics we could potentially talk about. I was like, you know what? Like, Let's push this to Friday, because inevitably, if we record on Wednesday, something big is going to happen. And lo and behold, Colorado comes back home. So we got plenty to discuss on today's episode. What a week. Great call by you. I was trying to record on Wednesday, and you're like, if we record now, news is going to break. And it was about two hours later, whenever the Colorado news <laughs> dropped, and you shot me a text. All your text said was, I told you so. And I, I didn't remember the context from earlier in the day, so I'm trying to figure out what you told me. And, uh, yeah, you nailed it, because Colorado to the Big 12, that is pretty big news, sir. It's pretty remarkable. It's hard to believe. What was it? Two years. It was two years ago on July 21st. So two years and a week ago, oh, you and Texas announced they were leaving. You and I did podcasts throughout the summer, just desperately wondering what was going to happen to Oklahoma State athletics, because this affects obviously more than just football. And it's pretty remarkable here on July 28th, 2023, where we stand today. And so we'll We'll talk plenty about Colorado coming, who potentially could join them in the new look Big 12. Plenty of plaudits for Brett Yormark. Plenty of uh, Pac-12 things to discuss and where they stand now. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And we're going to have Colorado fans coming to town starting in 2024. So we'll have uh, some exciting – all the new schools that have joined the Big 12 will be hitting up Stillwater and, of course – Colorado will be joining them as well. So, Colby, let's just get right to it. I mean, huge, huge monumental achievement uh, from Brett Yormark. Since he's taken over, Colby, he's taken over a, a league left for dead. He continues to innovate, and that's kind of why they hired him. He pitched a lot of, you know, radical, out-of-the-box thinking, which the Big 12, frankly, needed. And we'll we'll get to Bob Bowlesby and how we got in this position, but uh, I think first and foremost, Colby, we we got to give it up to Brett Yormark for going and snatching Colorado and bringing them back to where they belong. A, a school that, you know, was part of the original Big Eight, uh, deep deep history. I have my concerns about Colorado, but just on the surface, Colby, this was just monumental news. There's really no way to overstate it. Yeah, I, I said that I wanted them back. It was largely based out of nostalgia. Uh, I've got friends in the area. I was texting my buddy up there yesterday. We were talking about it. He's excited to be coming to the Big 12. Gives him the occasional chance to come to Stillwater. I'm sure that I will make a trip or two to Boulder. That's definitely one that's on the bucket list for a game whenever that happens. But I want to start to give Brett Yormark his flowers by reading a quote from one George Klievkoff. This came last week at Pac-12 Media Days and really outlines the difference in the two commissioners, how they've handled all this, and just the success that Brett Yormark has had in contrast to George Klievkoff in the Pac-12. When Klievkoff was asked whether it was a quote-unquote major concern that the Big 12 may poach his schools, he called it not a concern and said that realignment, quote, will come to an end for this cycle and that the truth is we have bigger fish to fry. Oh, you're not going to have any fish left to fry, George Klievkoff. You are getting fried. And I want to make one thing very clear. I feel bad that there's going to be a school like Oregon State who is going to get left out in the cold and who's going to have nowhere to go. I feel bad for an Oregon State of the world, for a, for a Washington State of the world. But the conference as a whole had a chance when OU and Texas went to the SEC to establish themselves as one of the four major conferences in the country by adding Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, and Texas Tech. And they said, no, 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 we are too good for you. You do not belong with us. They made a handshake agreement with the ACC and the Big Ten in lieu of taking 
Big 12 schools to solidify themselves. Right after they shook the Big Ten's hands, the Big Ten came in, took USC, took UCLA. Colorado is now gone. Oregon has got to be scrambling to get the hell out and go anywhere else other than the Pac-12. The corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, look like they could be coming toward the Big 12. This has been a fumble of epic proportions out West and an absolute capitalization and just proactive at every measure by Brett Yormark and the Big 12 uh, pretty much since the day that OU in Texas announced it was leaving, which was under Bob Bowlesby. Um, yeah, it's just it's wild how much things have changed in the last two years, Carson. It is. And the Pac-12 it's just, it's amazing to me, the level of snobbery, haughtiness that comes from that coast. Um, first and foremost, the idea that they think that they are just above everyone else academically. That's thats what's gotten them into this position. Because as much as the Big Ten, you know, loves their academics, they also understand finances. And you're right, that handshake agreement was basically a middle finger agreement from the Big Ten saying, you know what? Yeah, we'll be your friend. Uh, we'll go ahead and take your two flagship schools out of, out of LA. We'll, we'll see what that leaves you. And you're so right in that it just, I can't believe, or I can, this, and this is where their haughtiness got them. I just, it's, it's amazing to me that the Pac-12 did not recognize the value of adding the central time zone. You and I talked about that all summer when this happened. They significantly overvalue their late time slot. They they trumpet the ratings for that, that late Pac-12 window. And that's all well and good. And you do get ratings from that. But you need more time zone access to the rest of the country. You were on an you island out there. You don't What's grow. They, they had no interest in growth. Carson, we've talked about West, the West Coast bias in Heisman Trophy voting for 50 years. No one wants like that. That term developed from the rest of the country not watching Pac-12 football games. The fact that that league hasn't recognized that over the past 50 years, they deserve everything they're getting now. The fact that they didn't recognize that and capitalize on a weakened Big 12 with OU in Texas is why they're in this position right now. And another thing that all this these these hoity-toity left coast media, Stuart Mandel, who we'll get to, uh, who actually went to Northwestern, which they got their own issues at Northwestern. But the fact that they don't recognize what we've been pointing out for years, the last few years, no one goes to the games. Why do you think the Big Ten and the SEC have the biggest TV contracts? It's because they have the biggest fan bases. Those fans go to the games, they travel to the games, they watch the games on television. There's a huge, huge level of interest from big football fan bases. The Pac-12 does not have that. They've never had that. Look at the Pac-12 title game for the last 20 years. Nobody goes. Nobody cares. And the fact that they could not realize all the fallacies that were involving their football conference, they were already a distant fifth on the field. We all knew that. I mean, just remember when Colorado tried to play Oklahoma State in the Alamo Bowl? Hello. I mean, that, that, was, that was boys and that was men amongst boys. And so what I, I, it's just amazing to me, again, that people don't recognize the lack of interest in Pac-12 football and the opportunity they had and look, do I think Oklahoma State has this massive fan base like an Ohio State or, you know, a Florida? No. But what they have is competitive football, and they have fans that watch the games. And it's just – it's crazy to me that they have not capitalized on on the weekend Big 12. And as much as people want to rip the Pac-12, I think the Big the Big 12 needs needs more recognition than the Pac-12 just sitting on their hands. No, you're absolutely right. It's it's wild to see how this is all played out. Um, as opposed to just using all of our time to rip the Pac-12, because that's very easy to do. It's low-hanging fruit, and they've kind of made their bed. Now they have to lay in it. I do want to talk about Colorado coming back and, and kind of the fit for Colorado in the Big 12. It's It's been a program that has really struggled, Carson, but I think regardless of wins and losses, the decision to go out and hire Deion Sanders – it was the 
move of the college football offseason. It made news. It made headlines. It boosted ticket sales. And now, Carson, it has gotten Colorado into a better situation in a more stable conference. I'm sorry. If they go out and they hire some guy from a group of five school who's an up-and-coming head coach who nobody really cares about and doesn't make waves and they pay him $700,000 a year, Colorado's still sitting in the Pac-12 waiting for a, a TV deal to see if Ion's going to let them play on television or if they're going to have to stream it on Pac-12.tv. You know, I, I just – Colorado hiring Dion changed the trajectory of that school and that program because Colorado athletically is very much in the same ilk as like an Oregon State, a Washington State, those kind of schools that I was mentioning earlier that were at risk – of potentially being left out in the cold whenever all of this is done because I don't think that this results in five power conferences. I think it results in four, and I don't think the Pac-12 is one of them. And Colorado, I think, was very firmly in position to be on the outside looking in. And I think simply hiring Deion Sanders and the hype that that has put around Colorado, the the newsworthiness that that makes Colorado, the TV ratings that him being there is going to bring Colorado. I don't know if he's there a year. I don't know if he's there 10 years. But I think just from getting Colorado back into the college sports landscape, I think it was kind of already a home run for Colorado. And I, I hope that he's around for a few years because I would love to see Dion spend a little bit of time in the Big 12. Well, I, I certainly believe I certainly agree with you that he's added some juice and he's put them he's made them far more relevant than they've been in the last you know, since they've really left the Big Twelve. I disagree a little bit on this having any bearing on this. Um I, I think the Big Twelve is in a position and, I, and I'm torn on Colorado and part of this is just me and my personality. I'm I'm very loyal and when, when I'm wronged <laughs> I want to, you know, stick it to people that have, have wronged me. It's just, it's a personality trait of mine. It's one that I've had to work on. Um, I would have loved to have just left Colorado out to see the way they, they hightailed it out of the big 12 and put the conference in even more peril, but the big 12 is in a position where they, they can't be pickers and choosers like to get Colorado back again, an original big eight member uh, is huge. And the big 12 is trying to expand any way they can with power five schools. And so, while I don't think Colorado adds a ton of football prowess, it is a huge shot to the Pac-12. It shifts the balance in the Pac-12 to nine schools, and it adds more members to your to your uh, Big 12. And the, the most shocking thing to me is that Brett Yormark, another master stroke from him, Colorado's going to get the full payout, the full, the full $31 million from you know the, the TV revenue and everything. So... I'm torn. I think Colorado is a relic football program. They, I mean, they, Colby, you're you're too young to remember. They used to be every bit as good as vintage Nebraska. I mean, I'm talking dudes on dudes. Cordell Stewart, Rashawn Salam, Michael Westbrook. These guys, they were a juggernaut. They won a national championship. They were unbelievable. But those days are even further gone than Nebraska's. And so, but. This, again, I say that on one side, but on the other side, you're adding UCF, you're adding, you know, Houston, you know, much programs that are far closer to Colorado now than they were way back when. So I'm a little torn in that I don't think Colorado has nearly the value they used to when they originally were members of the conference, but the shot across the bow and what this does for the TV contracts and the potential to lure someone else from the Pac-12, it's a no-brainer. And Dion hadn't coached a game yet. I mean, he's got some serious health issues, and he was undergoing surgery uh, lately. He could flame out, or if he wins, Colby, I think he's going to go to a bigger, better job with more money. Dion's all about money and fame. Uh, I think he'll hightail it out of Colorado the first chance he gets if he has success, and if not, he's never coached to Power 5 level. He could flame out pretty quick. But regardless, getting Colorado was huge for the conference as a whole. That part I agree with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting. I'm reading this tweet from Ross Dellinger yesterday. How did this happen? Colorado officials and Brett Yormark have been in deep discussion for months. The Big 12 expressed a desire for a decision from CU by August 1st. And apparently the Colorado Chancellor, Phil, De Phil De DeStefano, 
expected George Klievkov to present TV deal figures last week. It didn't happen. That was a final straw. We, we knew, Carson, we could read through the nonsense as Klievkov sat up there and pretty much at every turn, the Pac-12's talking point has been, no, 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 it's actually good for us that no one wants to give us any money to play on TV. No, 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 that's a good thing. They kept telling us that that was a good thing and that it was going to work out in the end. It's not working out for the Pac-12 and now, Carson, in, in a what happens from here standpoint, I know everybody likes the, the, the corner schools. I would really like Utah because I think the rivalry between BYU and Utah would be great for the conference since, I mean, the, the two best rivalries in your conference are going away. OU and Texas and Bedlam are the two best rivalries in the conference. Those are going away. You get the BYU-Utah uh, rivalry game, which is huge out west. But as far as Arizona and Arizona State, they're on my wish list. But Carson, I am swinging for the fences. I do not care about geography. Quack, quack, bring me those ducks. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, I think the ideal scenario is you get Oregon, Washington, and Utah. To pair Utah with BYU would be incredible. The Civil War, they call it. A great nickname, great rivalry. There's some real animosity between those schools. It's very much a Texas, Texas A&M situation. And it, it appears, though, Colby, that you know Utah has not been very receptive to talks. We haven't heard much at all out of Oregon and Washington. Um, I think, Colby, just what do you think the chances are they get either Oregon or Washington? Because I, I don't think they're very high. Uh, I don't think they're really high. I think they're a lot higher than they were before the Colorado news broke. I mean, what are they going to do? Sit around out there and wait for San Diego State to to come make the Pac-12 10 teams again? I just, I, I don't think that it's like 80-20 uh, that they come or anything, but I think the chances are, are definitely higher than they were pre-Colorado announcement. Well, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think they were kind of hoping for the Big Ten, but I don't think the Big Ten's in a position to add two more schools after they got UCLA and, and uh, USC. So from a dollars and cents perspective, if, if I'm Dan Lanning, the head coach at Oregon, and he has to recruit against SEC schools, which he's doing every single day. He's recruiting against Oklahoma every single day. I'm in, and he just agreed to a, a big, fat new contract extension. Uh, I wonder if those two are related because if I'm him, I'm like, guys, we, how am I supposed to recruit in the the Pac-9 on, on the West Coast with with nowhere near the TV revenue that other schools are going to be getting? It just to me, if I'm Oregon, I'm on the first thing smoking to the Big 12, and Washington should do the same thing. I think. I think if they wait on the Big Ten, they're taking a huge, huge risk of being left out. And that's, that's to your point, I think the big negotiating chip that, that Brett Yormark has. Now, all the smoke we're reading right now, Colby, is the two most likely would be Arizona and Connecticut. Before we talk about UConn, let's talk about Arizona. As much as I love Tempe, and man, I love Tempe. Been to a million bowl games out there. Great place. Phoenix is awesome. Arizona's way more of a way more of a collegiate football program and really just they really add a lot more as a whole than Arizona State. Arizona State's kind of been fumbling around for a long time athletically in their athletic department. I think Arizona makes a ton of sense basketball wise, of course. You know, Brett Yormark's big deal is and that's kind of where UConn comes into play. He wants to kind of parse the TV rights between football and basketball, make those separate, make even more money. And uh, to me, Colby, I think everything I'm reading right now is that Arizona and UConn are perhaps uh, the two most likely uh, of the of the bunch. Yeah, um, I mean, we we go from talking about Oregon, Washington, and Utah to talking about these schools, so you can probably hear the excitement in my voice isn't the same. It, it would be good for the Big Twelve to get those schools. It would be good for basketball. Uh, Arizona, I think, definitely adds something. It, it just it doesn't have the the sex appeal, you know, that Oregon, yep. Washington, Utah do. It's it's not as flashy. Uh, you're driving by the car lot. That's not a Corvette parked out on the corner. That's that's a Honda Civic, and it's reliable, and it'll get you from point A to point B, and it'll do what you need it to, but it can't go 0 to 60 like a Corvette. And I, I would say if the next announcement is Arizona or Yukon, that to me as a Big 12 fan will be a disappointment, but I also think I may be getting a little greedy. So – uh, I, I don't know how this plays out. I do think that Colorado to the Big 12 
will not be the last team X to the big 12 announcement between now and the start of college football season. I, I think there's going to be one more announced between now and the start of the season. Cause I don't think the big 12 wants to enter next year with an odd number of schools at what would be 13 after OU and Texas leave. Um, I think they'll want to enter with, with 14 dream scenario would be 16, but I think we're going to have one more announcement between now and the start of football season. And if it were Arizona or UConn, that would be, to me, a, a greedy Big 12 fan, a little disappointing. No, I totally agree. But to me, that that seems like where this is trending. And I think Heather Dinich from ESPN, who I have mixed feelings about her reporting, but she's reporting that, you know, 14 is going to be the number, just in terms of that's what makes most sense scheduling-wise and all those things. So it may be a situation where it's first come, first serve, Colby. And, I, you know, have you ever watched the, the TV show Suits? It's back on Netflix. I, I've already watched it before, but I've been rewatching it. You ever watched it? Everyone says it's great. I want to watch it. It is so long. I can't even commit to starting. Yeah, I know you. You'd love it. Uh, we we breeze right through it. So, a lot of what happens in the show is kind of what's going on right now with the Big Twelve, where you know you get three or four parties, and you kind of start scaring one oh. that the other is going to make a move first, and you better take the deal before they do. And I think that's kind of what Brett Yornwark's doing right now. It's like, do you trust all these people? Colorado just left. Do you really trust all these people that are left to stick to stand pat and stay together? Cause we got this deal sitting right here. If you don't take it, someone else will. And a lot of it's playing the man playing the, the bluff game. But um, if I'm one of those schools, uh, I'm calling Brett Yornwark right now, but, Again, Arizona doesn't Arizona Arizona doesn't excite me as much as Oregon and Washington. But if you add Colorado and Arizona, aren't you feeling much better about this conference today? Uh yeah. Yeah, I I am, but honestly, I I feel pretty good regardless. I just I don't see a path for the Pac-12 back to relevance. I don't see enough schools out there and I this is probably what people were saying uh, about the Big 12 a couple of summers ago. This just feels a little bit different. Actually, I know it was what people were saying because somebody sent me this tweet. Uh, Stuart Mandel, July 29th. That's, a, that's uh, tomorrow. So this is almost two years ago to the day. July 29th, Stuart Mandel of 2021. Here's an idea. Merge the AAC and Big 12. Like, work on it together rather than see who's going to raid the other first is what Stuart Mandel said. Somebody replied, ESPN doesn't want to share with Fox. That's what's going on here. Stuart Mandel replies, share what? The carcass of the Big 12? Um, Stuart <laughs> Mandel has taken his lumps. He has taken ownership of what he has called, his words, his own stupidity two years ago. So I will give him some credit there, even though I think he has continued to carry water for the Pac-12 throughout these TV negotiations. Um, yes, we probably sound a little bit like that today, but this just feels different because the Big 12 had other avenues to go make things happen, and I don't see where those avenues are for the Pac-12. So I think whether it happens now or later, I think the Big 12 is firmly in position to be one of the remaining Power Four conferences um, that we've seen kind of trending for a long time in college football. So I, I would feel good by the Big 12 just simply getting more schools, but even if they don't, uh, I still feel really good about where they're at. Yeah, I think... They've got the central time zone on lockdown, uh, certainly this part of the country, and they've expanded west now with with BYU and, and of course, Colorado. And they've already got the east coast now with UCF and West Virginia. So what really has happened is the Big 12's kind of just taken over a, a larger portion of the, of the TV coverage map. And I think that's what's so appealing to ESPN and Fox is it fills way more TV windows than the Pac-12 does. And that's, again, what Stewie Mandel does not understand this. I, uh, speaking of his tweets, I quote tweeted him, uh, back in February, February 9th, he tweeted the PAC 12 still doesn't have a new TV deal in place. Sources tell the athletic, a lack of bidders and the big 12 jumping in line may result in less money than Kliakov envisioned. Uh, I said, I quote tweeted and said, this had to hurt Stewart to tweet. He's looked down on the big 12 throughout the realignment saga and trumpeted the PAC 12 who literally doesn't have fans at games. It's not because the Big 12 jumped the line. It's because they have superior football programs, more fans, and better TV ratings. Why that's so hard for some of these people to comprehend, 
I'll never understand. Just look in, look in the stands. Are there people there? Nope. Are they watching on TV then? Absolutely not. And so, yeah, Colby, I, I think they're they're not going to catch the Big Ten. They're not going to catch the SEC. That's just not going to happen. They have way bigger TV deals, way bigger fan bases. But this is the best, the next best thing. And this is, I think this is kind of what you and I were hoping for two summers ago is let's join forces with the Pac-12 and make the best of a bad situation. Well, Brett Yormark has basically bypassed the Pac-12 and done the same thing. And that, to me, again, you cannot overstate the vision and the proactiveness of Brett Yormark. You juxtapose that with Bob Bowlesby, who people just gave this guy the biggest pass ever as a conference commissioner as he let all the schools from the Big 12 leave. Had no foresight whatsoever. Did did literally less than nothing to make this conference whole. He he obviously added you know TCU and, and West Virginia at 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 the as the big as the Big Twelve was at death's door. But I was saying way back before then, go get Louisville, go get these schools that have value, and expand, beat them to the punch. And so he put them in this position, but Brett Yormark's really pulled them out of it. He absolutely has, Carson. Um, I, I'm reading some very funny tweets here. I saw somebody who was this. I want to give him credit. John Kurtz posted and said, this is the official Pac-12 receipts thread. Let her rip, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and some of these are really, really good, Carson. Tony Altimore, um, a week ago on Twitter, says, listening to Big 12 sources making up utter nonsense about Pac-12 institutions is beyond pathetic. You begged them to join, guys begged and they're not into it it's time for big 12 fans their media and the bogus websites and message board trolls who lie to them to move on that's a good one uh let me scroll down to this other there's a really good one here john can canzano something um i've been talking with involved parties from across the footprint the whole time no i don't buy the fear-mongering propaganda about pac-12 schools leaving for the big 12 lots of fun to talk about though uh i mean some of these are just some of these are absolutely Brilliant. Love these big 12 people that think not going to market is somehow going to be better for them than the Pac-12 going to market. This is hilarious and was a desperation move by your mark. These are just, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Okay, last one. Last one. Tony Altimore, again, this guy must be some sort of Pac-12 truther. Uh, No Pac-12 school is moving to the Big 12, and they never were. It's time for the 12-anon trolls, the fake Big 12 sources, all the clickbait YouTubers, nasty BYU fan liars, and Big 12 itself to apologize for misleading the world in a sad QAnon style. We all deserved better. How could you be so confident in the Pac-12, Carson? That's what blows my mind. How could you be so certain that the Pac-12 had it all figured out? They're clueless. I mean, they they literally live in their bubble and are just completely clueless. <laughs> uh, one more from me, from Stuart Mandel. This was uh, two days ago when the news broke. Arguably the most remarkable aspect of all of this, the Big 12's TV partner is locked in to pay full price for the worst program in the Pac-12. At the same time, the Pac-12 has yet to lock, it, lock in even $1 for its best programs. I mean, that's that's where we're at. I mean, again, Colorado is is not a good football program. But the TV dollars make all the sense in the world. Colorado, Colby, did you know Colorado? <laughs> uh, they've been to two bowl games since joining the Pac-12, and they are 48 and 94 since in football since joining the Pac-12. So I watched one of those bowl games. That's right. I was at the uh, the Mason Rudolph SmackDown with James Washington in the Alamo Alamo Dome. I but remember. That's, that's where we're at, though. It's pretty amazing. Leading into that bowl game, I think I was back with the franchise at the time, and leading into that bowl game, I looked up uh, just simply the recruiting rankings from the four years leading into the game against OSU and Colorado because I'm like, this has to be a fluke Colorado team, right? And Oklahoma State was a solid, like, 50 or 60 spots ahead of Colorado every year in the recruiting rankings, and I predicted Oklahoma State to blow Colorado out in that bowl game, and that was one of the most correct predictions uh, I've probably ever made. Yeah, I mean – Colorado had a great year that year, but again, that's the difference between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Like, like I was so thrilled when they started pairing Pac-12 versus Big 12, so we we got to see it. I, I want more Pac-12 and Big 10 matchups. Bring those to me. So what do you think about where Oklahoma State stands now 
uh, Colby. I mean, I think this is a huge, huge win for, for everyone listening to this podcast. If you've never been to a game in Boulder, Colorado, I highly, highly suggest it. Um, me and my good friend, Adam Lunt, who's been, you know, everyone seems to know on Twitter nowadays. He and I grew up big Florida state fans. We went up there, uh, to watch Florida state in Colorado had an unbelievable experience. I'll never forget drive. When you drive up on the top of this like giant hill, looking down at the foothills of Boulder, it's one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen in my life. Um, so this is a huge win for, for road trips. Uh, it's a huge win for the history of the big 12, uh, huge for uniform, huge for uniform guys like me and Justin Southwell, Colorado has got some of the best uniforms in the country, but this really puts Oklahoma state in, in firm footing conference wise, Colby having Colorado back in the fold and seemingly the big 12's got its act back together. And, you know, to put a bow on it, I mean, you and I were, we were racking our brains. We were, we were wondering if we we're going to be doing a group of five podcast at, at some point, or if Oklahoma state was going to be an independent for, for crying out loud. Uh, it's got to be a, a relief for everyone listening that that this has happened. Yeah, it's a huge relief. I remember doing those shows and I remember there were, I mean, I'm having conversations with, with family, with friends, with guys at the golf course about what is going to happen to Oklahoma state. And there was so much unknown. And, and for all of that to have turned into this, it just, I mean, it's not necessarily hitting the lottery. You're not getting that big 10 or that sec money, but you're not sitting here in the American scheduling SMU and Tulane, which we had conversations about. I mean, that was a possibility where this all ended up. Uh, and for it to have gone the way it's gone, it's about best case scenario for Oklahoma State. You're in a, a solid conference. It's familiar. It's where you've always been. Uh, you've got what appears to be a great commissioner. Uh, and you're, you're in a stable place to just continue accelerating your athletic program like you've done over the last 15 to 20 years. So, yeah, in, in terms of outcomes for Oklahoma State, I, I think all said two years ago, I would have said this was pretty close to a best case scenario outcome. Totally agree. What do you make of um, the Connecticut stuff, UConn? Uh, it seems your marks very keen on them. Obviously, they would make sense basketball wise. Would make absolutely no sense football wise. Like, I got to tell you, I'm I'm pretty surprised by all the smoke surrounding UConn, but it appears to be it appears to have a lot of smoke around it. It does so so very little for me, and I I think Carson honestly. The lack of excitement from from me, from you, from I think generally Big 12 fans about UConn, isn't it a little bit of a testament as to how far college basketball's fallen? I mean, they oh, they just absolutely won they just won it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. What do you bring me? Are you exciting? No, you're not. Okay, cool. It's just it, it's to me a huge testament as to how far uh, college basketball has fallen because I look at UConn, I see. Basically a non-existent football program that does absolutely nothing for me. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm probably good on UConn. And uh, that's a shame because their basketball program would absolutely bring something. Well, and I, I think if you're your Mark, that's, that's the only reason you're, you're doing this is again, I think he's, he obviously knows more about TV contracts than I do. And I think his line of thinking here is what I mentioned before about you know, separating the basketball TV contracts and the football and obviously UConn coming off a national championship, what they bring both in men and women's basketball adds a lot. And I, I agree with that. And I think his argument, you know, for UConn football being absolutely horrific. Uh, I'll never forget when they got paired, they somehow won the big East back when the big East was still playing football and played OU in the, in the uh, Fiesta bowl. That was, that was embarrassing for everyone involved, but I think his argument would be, we'll look at, look at programs, I don't know, like like Baylor. You know, Baylor was horrible when they first came into the Big 12. Well, look at them now. Um, now, certainly they have a much different recruiting footprint being in the state of Texas, but I think he would argue that their football will improve by joining a, a Big 12. So that th those are the only lines of logic I can find with, with UConn. Yeah, I mean, it's that and it's basketball. Um, and, and obviously it's women's basketball, but – Women's basketball is on the rise, but still isn't producing the revenue that the other sports are. So, um, yeah, look, UConn, it'd be a great addition in the spring. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun around March Madness. Big 12 tournament would be fun. It just doesn't really do anything for me for football. And the money is so big in football, Carson, that that's where the decisions have to be made. It's just it's simple dollars and cents. Uh, nothing else is bringing you that kind of money. So I, I think that we're going to have an announcement on another school soon, and we will see if that ends up being uh, 
being UConn or or something a little more palatable, we'll say, for Big 12 fans? I got to say, if it's just Colorado and UConn, I'm, I'm happy to blow up the Pac-12 somewhat. But there's a you know devil's advocate if you're the Pac-12. Colorado's pretty replaceable. I don't know with whom. I know that they, they botched the San Diego State deal. But if it's if it's Colorado and UConn, I'm I'm pretty kind of meh, kind of d- disappointed by the the jolt that Colorado gave me would would be brought down significantly by UConn. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I think that's fair. And and um, if there's a random misplaced UConn fan listening to our show right now, they probably feel a little bit insulted. But yeah, I think that that's how a lot of the country views UConn. What about Arizona and Colorado? Would you, would that be would you be satisfied with that? Uh, it'd be it'd be better. It, I'd feel better about that than UConn and Colorado. Um, I'm still hoping that it's not an Arizona announcement though, because if an Arizona announcement comes, that means that it's unlikely an Oregon announcement is coming, or a Washington announcement, or a Utah announcement, and those are the announcements that I'm really on the edge of my seat for. Those those announcements would would get me really excited. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I know Brett Yormark's burning up the phone lines, but um, man, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all shakes out. But again, great, great news for Oklahoma State moving forward in the, in the Big 12. Uh, any other thoughts on on uh, Big 12 expansion? Uh, don't believe so. I think we pretty much covered it. I just, boy, I'll be curious to see where the Pac-12 winds up. Very curious. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they can be a group of five. They can... They they just need to merge with the Mountain West. Just be the the big the big Mountain West. That's, that's right. what they need to do. Why fight each other for all the same schools? Just merge. Get out in front of it. Well, and I I guess I'll close with saying that, you know, I I always go back to what Mike Gundy said originally when they were flirting with the Pac-12, the them being OU Texas, everybody in the Big Twelve. Uh, before they left, he said this part of the country needs a power football conference. And I think it was very fortuitous that TCU made their run and the Big 12 kind of had a resurgence the last couple of years and, and really proved it on the field. They needed to start doing that more. It's a testament to this part of the country caring about college football. That's what brings eyeballs to TV sets. That's what brings in dollars. That's what makes college football what it is. So, this and that's another reason I took such issue with the Stuart Mandels of the world, the Costanzo, whatever his name is, all those West Coast writers, and and really the national writers that kind of always kind of look down at the Big Twelve and thumb their nose at it. First, it was they don't play defense, and then when they actually play defense, they just choose to ignore it because they're not interested in it. This is a huge, huge signal to everyone that cares about Big Twelve football in this part of the country that we matter in this sport. This part of the country matters. It may be flyover country, but at least we show up to football games. You know, people can take shots at Iowa State. You know what Iowa State fans do? They fill their stadium and they watch their school play football. Can't say that about Stanford. Can't say that about Cal. Can't say that about UCLA when there's ten, literally like 10 people in the stands at the Rose Bowl. Can't say that about those schools. So, again... For all the national folks out there that thumb their nose at the Big 12 in this part of the country and call it flyover country, we care about football, and we're not going to apologize for it. And Brett Yormark's not going to apologize for it. He's going to go take your schools from you. So that's where I'll leave it. Well said. Well said. Let's leave it there. Um, You want to rank the top five quarterbacks in Oklahoma State? This should be pretty quick. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, I've got a – I'm going to go out on a limb at number one. I'm going to go with Brandon Whedon. I really think he had things figured out. Uh, and that offense operated pretty well under Whedon. So I, I feel like I'm going out on a limb there, but I'll go Brandon at one. Yeah, I think I agree with that. We'll go Brandon Whedon number one. Look, Marshall Scott's a, you know, he's a, was it, is it millennial or is it like Gen Z? Is that the new term? Gen Z, the young kids? <laughs> Good question. I don't actually know how old Marshall is. Uh, I'm 30. I'll be 31 at the beginning of September and I am a millennial. So I'm not sure where the cutoff is. We'll call, we'll just call him a youngin. He, he likes to make the argument for Mason Rudolph, who again, I don't want to disparage Mason. He had a great career. We all know the numbers. Uh, sensational quarterback. Didn't quite deliver in the biggest games and lost, you know, some really, really, really huge home games that that year in 2017. So that's what puts him at number two. Number three, I got Zach Robinson. Um, I think it's pretty pretty surefire pick for number three. Uh, yes, I'm all in on Zach Robinson at three. I actually think two and three 
there's a gap, but I think two and three are closer than one and two. Uh, I love Marshall. I, I think that Marshall, like all the rest of us, he's well within his right to be wrong about something, and I, I think he's wrong to have Mason Rudolph above Brandon Whedon. Uh, I think it's fun, though, when somebody has the different opinion. Yes, Zach Robinson at three is is definitely the play. Uh, Kyle Boone actually has Spencer Sanders at three, which surprises me. He does. That's who uh, the article listed at four for Marshall. Is that Marshall's? I'm looking uh, at the wrong in, list then. Their, their individual ballots are down here at the bottom. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't see that. So, and, and then they take the aggregate for the top five rankings. So who Marshall, do you have who do you have four? Do you have Spencer four? Uh I would have Spencer at four, yes. I, I think the twenty twenty one season, he made big plays in big moments, uh, particularly the second half of that Bedlam, Bedlam game, the Notre Dame game. I think it's the second greatest season in school history. And yes, it was the best defense ever, but he made big plays along the way. Um, to get that team where it needed to be. So I, I think that him leaving and finishing his career elsewhere probably hurts his legacy at Oklahoma State when we look back at it in 20 years. But right now I'm looking at Spencer Sanders as a guy who did a lot at Oklahoma State, and I would have him at four. I guess that makes me an old, one of the olds. I do not have Spencer four. I have Mike Gundy four. And I think his career is very interesting to look at when you when you talk about Spencer Sanders. Both played as, as freshmen. Mike played as a true freshman. Um, I just think the one thing about Spencer, and yes, he he had an unbelievable year in 21, uh, winning the Fiesta Bowl is one of the biggest wins in school history. But when I'm ranking my top five quarterbacks, I need consistency. And Spencer to me was a lot like Russell Westbrook. The highs were incredible highs. I mean, they were as good as it could get, the highs were. But the lows, the floor was much, much lower than Mike Gundy, who was, you know, the left school as the all all time leading passer in Big A history. Obviously had some really good players around him as well on offense. Kind of goes without saying. But I think the consistency of Mike Gundy lands him at number four for me. And the, the inconsistency of Spencer uh moves him further down the list. Yeah, I think that that's entirely fair. Spencer was very eclectic. You didn't necessarily know what you were getting every Saturday. Um I, I'll say one anti Mike Gundy argument, and I don't even want to make an anti Mike Gundy argument he's firmly in at five for me. There are a lot of people who could have turned around and handed the ball to Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders. Well, that's true. But he also aired it out in a, you know, Oklahoma State's offense under Mike Gundy with those teams. They were very good. They were way ahead of the times. I mean, their points per game would match up with some with offenses in today's game. Think about that. Um, so I, I think he gets credit for for airing it out the way he did too. Uh, who do you got? You see, you have Gundy at five. I would have Gundy at five. Yeah, Fir- firmly at five. I, I don't want to make the anti Mike Gundy argument. That was just uh, a, a credit to those running backs more than anything. But yes, I think Gundy's firmly at five. Uh, Josh Fields, I would have in there at six. You have Fields at six. Oh, I've debated long and hard between Fields and Spencer for the five spot. You know. I was in school when Fields was there. I think he's one of the most overlooked players in school history with what he did at quarterback. I mean, as a freshman, winning in Norman, and then going on to, you know, leading him to the Cotton Bowl, all those great years with with Rashawn, beating OU twice. I still got to go Spencer, though, for the longevity. You know, Fields played two years. Spencer was there much longer, and the highs for Spencer were were higher. So as much as I want to give it to Fields, I think I got to go Spencer. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm good with that. So then Fields, you're slotting Fields in at six, right? Yeah, I got Fields six. And then I honorable mention, this guy does not get enough credit. His name is Clint Chelf. He Nailed led it. two he led two game winning drives to win Big Twelve championships, and the defense didn't hold it there into the bargain. If they did, I think Clint climbs this list rapidly because he did what he did his part. And that's why football is such a, a beautiful slash painful game because the defense kind of let him down in two monumental moments that would have etched him in, in school history. Yeah, Clint was good, man. He he gets overlooked because they weren't able to close out those seasons. Um, and he also gets overlooked because he just wasn't – he wasn't the big recruit coming in. You know, he wasn't the guy that everybody knew was going to be QB1. He just kind of came out, and every time he took the field, it's like, man – I could play. And uh, yeah, Clint is definitely underrated and was very good in his time at Oklahoma State. Yep. All right. Time for uh, Bullets and BBs. Colby, what do you got this week? 
I, it's got to go Brett Yormark, right? It has to. I mean, standing O, Brett Yormark. This conference was dead, Carson. We were burying it. I was actually, I wanted Oklahoma State to get out. I wanted Oklahoma State to be elsewhere because I didn't see a path to relevance for the Big 12. And Brett Yormark created a path. He has been forward thinking. As Klievkov has sat on his hands, Brett Yormark is like, no, we're doing a, B, C, D, E, and we're doing them all at the same time, and it's moving fast. And Brett Yormark has come on the scene and done a great job. Uh, I feel the Big 12 is in good hands. Carson, I, I think we're kind of getting to a hashtag in your mark we trust point. I think so. Uh, I think that's where we got to go. You got to give, I'm going to give a bullet to, to Brett Yormark again. He took over a conference that was left for dead, and you just juxtapose what he's done in the short period of time as the commissioner of the Big 12 versus what happened under Bob Bowlesby's watch. It's night and day. And I got to give credit to to Chad Weiberg as well. Give him a bullet as well for, you know, the Big 12 you know, presidents, athletic directors. They had a real, they had a lot of soul searching to do in the wake of OU and Texas leaving. They had some big decisions to make. And Weiberg was in those conversations. And they clearly saw something in Brett Yormark that could turn this thing around. And while some of those ideas seem crazy, like UConn, you can't argue with the results thus far. And uh, I got to give credit to, to Chad Weiberg and the Big 12 uh, remaining athletic directors as well. Yep, 100%. Absolutely. Um, where are we at? You got your you got your BB? Yep, I got my BB. Let's go, go back to let's I'm go back. back up. Let's go back to yeah. Iowa, shall we? Oh. My good old friends at Iowa. There's a tweet from the Big Ten Conference that says punting is winning. And you got Kirk Ferentz up there at Big Ten Media Days talking about uh, Richard Roby, his punter back in 1981, his first year at Iowa, and just what what that taught him of the importance of punting. Punting is winning. And so, <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of fun talking about the Big Ten and their terrible punting conference they have up there. And, and Iowa's kind of been the whipping boy just because, as I've mentioned, they get those imbalanced schedules every other year where they get they just are gifted 10 wins. But man, they've really they've really played up. They've really almost been like trolling me in a way. They've like been parroting themselves. I mean, you got fans in the stands wearing punting is winning. It's just this is just taken off and taken on a life of its own. So I, I got to give a I guess it's a bullet or a I guess it's a BB, but it kind of sounds like a bullet. They've really encapsulated everything that is Big Ten football. Carson, I think that that is a perfect way to describe Iowa football. Is it a bullet or is it a BB? I don't know. I don't know. They win sometimes from time to time, but their schedule's trash. And the brand of football that they play is abhorrently unentertaining to watch. It's just, yeah, I think that's a great way to describe Iowa football. Is it great or is it awful? I don't know. I'm about to go totally out of left field for my BB, Carson. You ready for this? I'm ready. This is news from today. Carlota Saganda gets my... BB. Carson, do you know who this is? Carlota Saganda. That's going to be a Formula One driver. All right. You uh, you are incorrect, sir. It is. She plays on the LPGA. She plays on the LPGA. There's an LPGA major this week. Now, I'm a golf nerd. I'm in the weeds. I'm working today covering the Evian. And Carlota Saganda has been disqualified from a major championship. Here's how it happened. She was penalized for slow play. She is notoriously one of the slowest players on the planet. Notoriously. She has a reputation for not being ready when it's her turn, for not doing her work when other players are hitting, and for being a terribly slow player. She was penalized for slow play. She refused to accept the penalty for slow play. She refused to uh, sign a scorecard that reflected the penalty, Instead, she signed her card with an incorrect score on it, the score without the penalty, and she was subsequently disqualified. It's a BB to her, 
and it's a major bullet to the, the tournament organizers and the rules officials who penalize this because slow play is a problem in the game of golf, Carson. And if you are notoriously slow, if you're not getting around when it is your turn to hit, you're not ready when it's your turn because you're standing around chit-chatting, doing whatever, just taking in the scenery while other players are going through their routines, then you are the problem. It's not someone standing over their ball for an extra 10 seconds. It's the player who spends an extra three minutes because they're chit-chatting or they're out here doing whatever else when they should be getting ready to hit their shots. Uh, So a, a BB to her for A, playing entirely too slow, and B, refusing to accept the card and instead getting herself DQ'd out of some sort of principle as she tries to stand up for all the slow players around the world. Love it. Uh, we got to we got to do something about slow playing golf. The, the the PGA needs to be more strict about that as well. Yeah, they do. It's my my, th- my theory is this: I'm a slow putter. I know I'm a slow putter. So I didn't want I, I didn't want to say it. I was thinking well, it. I didn't want to say it. I I think I'm pretty fast on the tees and in the fairways, but I'm a slow putter. But I know I'm a slow putter. So when we pull up to the green, I don't send one last text message to my wife. I, I don't stand there and talk to the cart girl. I'm out of the cart. I grab my putter. I'm headed to the green because I'm ready to do my work so that when it's my turn, I can go because I know I'm a slow putter, but I try to make my slow process as fast as possible. Um, you You just... I, I played in a group yesterday where there was a lot of standing around chit-chatting whenever it was people's turn to hit, and it was driving me insane. So this penalty and this story coming down today, really, really right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Patrick Cantlay should take note. Uh, Patrick Cantlay should take a lot of notes. Yeah. He should take a lot of notes. Yeah. He's a very well, slow player. Well, I had a Ricky Fowler discussion I wanted to have, but we've gone long today, and we've got a long summer still ahead of us so i'll, I'll table our, our ricky discussion i wanted to have i just to, to preview it I, I think ricky gets a lot of criticism some of it deserved but he's put himself in position to win way more majors than folks like patrick cantlay and xander shoffle who have been in the top 10 almost as long as him as far as number of consecutive weeks now ricky's not in there anymore but you know what i'm saying that the stretch he had where he was in the top 10 for so long and hadn't won one he at least gave himself a lot of shots so i want to kind of dive into that uh, maybe on next week's show, but this was a good one, Colby. Again, pretty remarkable. Two years ago, you and I were ready to pack our bags for for Cor- Corvallis and uh, Palo Alto and try to just, you know, what we'd walk to the Pac-12. Well, now we're we're leaving them high and dry. It's pretty great. Yeah, it is. We're in good shape, and uh, I will be very surprised, Carson, if five years from now we're talking about the Pac-12 as a legitimate conference in collegiate athletics and. I just didn't see that coming. So uh, appreciate everyone for listening. Everyone have a great weekend. As always, go Pokes.